You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. So I first began watching Pose a few years ago because I knew it'd be unlike anything I'd ever seen before. A drama on TV with a cast full of trans actors. Pose! Pose is a show about the black and brown, queer and trans people who built New York City's ballroom scene in the late 80s and early 90s. It's also about how they had to fight the epidemic of HIV-AIDS during that same time. The whole show is this time capsule of the era, with all the outfits and the throwback decor and, most of all, the music. In season three, it's 1994, and I know that because some of y'all are walking the runway to Warren G's Regulators. The music and the genre of that time was a perfect time to shift and let people see what it was like in the 1990s, especially in the mid-1990s where things were really popping. At least, I, I, All three seasons also give you a real history lesson. They show you just how long this community had to endure the AIDS crisis. My guest this episode is MJ Rodriguez. She plays Blanca on the show. She is a house mother of Evangelista. In season three, she is living with her HIV diagnosis and pursuing a career outside of the ballroom scene. I think you will like this chat. MJ and I cover a lot of ground. We talk about why the representation on Pose matters, but also why it's not enough. We discuss how MJ channels her own loss in her work and how the queer community still finds resilience when facing grief and despair and sometimes a government actively making things worse. All right, let's get to it. Here is MJ Rodriguez. Enjoy. You know, one of the opening scenes on the first episode of Pose Season 3 in 1994, we see NYPD under then-Mayor Giuliani's control closing down a Mm -hmm. queer sex club loudly, almost violently, in their minds to stop the spread of HIV-AIDS. Spread that disease. Shutting this place down. And I was watching this and realizing, oh, this is the part of the AIDS epidemic that I think some people don't remember. I think a lot of us right. remember this crisis as some levers of the government being very silent about the crisis and not helping. But also, sometimes the government, at the peak of the AIDS crisis, they antagonized the queer community as it was suffering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I am someone who thought I had this pretty good working knowledge of this era of the AIDS crisis. But every time I watch your show, I realize there are things like that that I still don't know. And so Pose is consistently giving me an education. And I'm wondering, is there, you know, anything over the course of the show that you didn't know that you learned just from, you know, the scripts of Pose? You know, Fortunately, I had my mom who had gone through so many things in that time, and she's just like giving me the whole book read of what had happened. So there was a lot that I had known about, and there was a lot that I had been privy of before going into Pose. Yeah. Um, but it it reminded me, it's always a great reminder of what we as LGBTQAI people had to go through. And also, like you said, how the cops or how the government antagonized us simply because they had the option to mm. do it. You know, um, that was the the best part of Pose and showing showing that, you know, how much they um, and try to intimidate us, especially the queer community and how we always seem to prevail, honey. I mean, we always seem to fight back <laughs> some go. way or another. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's also this reminder that, like, 
governments are rarely silent or neutral, even mm-hmm. if they pretend to be. They're always doing something, and they're right. always picking a side. Yep. When you you know thinking about Poe's showing folks things they did not know, when you hear from listeners, are there certain things where they'll say, "Oh my God, I had no idea." Well, I would definitely say the younger generation now, who's like literally 13, 14, you know, 15, who are watching this, they definitely would contact me in my inboxes and tell me, wow, I didn't know that the AIDS epidemic was as serious as it was. I didn't know that they were targeting LGBTQAI individuals in general. And it just baffles me to hear that from them because it's something that should obviously be known, but they're also a part of a different generation where it's just not in their books. It's not in, you know, it's not in their history books to learn. And, you know, I'm glad that Pose can do that. Pose has definitely opened up the eyes of individuals who've never seen anything like that before to really see what it's, what it's like. And to know, like you said, it's an educational experience. It's real. It happened. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, also what I find particularly, resonant for me right now as this year of coronavirus pandemic life is kind of hopefully coming to a close or getting to a new moment watching season three and it's like how many years in the future from season one and yet the AIDS crisis is still a crisis it's a reminder that like the the AIDS crisis went on for a very long time like it Mm -hmm. was a crisis level thing for years it was people forget that I think it's easy to People like do. see the imagery from that time and say, oh, they had a really rough year or two, didn't they? Those people. No, no, no. This dragged on for almost a decade. One of the extreme parts about Pose and one of the best parts about Pose is that we really let people yeah. know what happened from 1987 all the way through 1994 and how numbers rise and, you know, really pinpointed two characters, Praetel and Blanca, and what they went through and showing them what not only the uh, LGBTQAI community went through, but what the the Black and Latina community had gone through and what had been overseen. And we really shed a light on these specific characters to show what it was like being of color and what it was like living with HIV and AIDS. Yeah. I understand that you lost some family over the course of the last year to coronavirus. Yeah. Mm. I did. I did. I lost two family members and another two of my family members actually had coronavirus. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, But I'm also wondering, like, in those moments of loss and grief over a different pandemic epidemic, were you channeling some of the strength or wisdom or anything from your character and the characters of Pose dealing with the AIDS crisis? Yeah, I I made sure that anything that was emotionally um, heavy for me, I made sure that I put it all into the work and into the process of Mm. of Blanca and making sure that, you know, it just stood true to what was happening in 1994 when it came to HIV and AIDS. I see that this is different, but it's not as different. we're we're kind of going through something quite similar. And also seeing my family members pass away from it, you know, it just made me think of my mother seeing her friends pass away from HIV and AIDS, the ones that she's grown up with from childhood, from kindergarten. And it just really struck hard. And I was like, okay, well, in order for me to convey the right type of feelings and emotions through Blanca, I have to bring a piece of the emotions that I have been going through as well to make sure that the people really receive and see what it's like to live in a time where there was just no 
vaccines, no cure, mm-hmm. no remedies, no treatments, no nothing. It was just literally survival. Mm-hmm. And um, it was hard. It was very yeah. hard. But I'm glad that the challenge actually was met and I did what I needed to do because I really do think people will receive and understand what it was like at that time. All right, coming up, MJ looks back on her first big role as Angel in Rent. Musical theater nerds, stay with us. A few years ago, a website popped up in Stockton, California, and conspiracy theories started ramping way up. And it's being funded by conservative movement underneath the table. And I was like, oh my gosh, you guys, people really believe this. What happens when the local news outlet isn't fact-checking conspiracy theories? Maybe encouraging them. Listen now from NPR's Invisibilia podcast. I want to talk about another role you played before Pose. You were in an off-Broadway production of Rent, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I was. Which role? Which role? I played Angel Dumas-Chunard in Rent. And I have to say that was like the biggest highlight of my life. Wow. Tell me more. So I had left uh, college. I was going to school for for music and I was going back and forth to New York City, back and forth for auditions. And I didn't know what life had in store for me, but I knew that this could possibly be something that could really be a game changer for me as a 19-year-old kid, Mm. as a queer woman, as a person who was a part of the trans community. But a lot of people probably didn't understand that. And I knew that this character was me. I knew that she was at least a piece of me. Um, And I also wanted to change the perspective of her because I didn't want her to just be seen as a drag queen. I wanted her to be seen as a full actualized woman who just so happened to be trans and who maybe didn't have, you know, the source to get HRT because she was homeless and she was dealing with HIV and AIDS. But she still managed for people to see her womanhood through her light and through her heart. Um, And when I got that opportunity, honey, I went to the moon with it and I poured my soul out on stage with Miss Angel. And, you know, I just felt so much of her inside of me that I couldn't just not do her justice. I had to make sure I did her justice. What was your favorite song uh, to sing when you were in Rent? Please say Santa Fe. (laughs) Oh, well, Santa Fe was definitely... One of my one of my favorites, but I would say today for you, tomorrow for me. Today for you, tomorrow for me. Today for you, tomorrow for me. Now I want you to clap. Come on. So, like I said, okay, I am a performer at heart, and when I performed that song, it was like a rocket ship just going straight into outer space into another galaxy. I was literally in my element. I felt yeah. completely who I was, and I just got to just give it my all and. The energy that I received from the audience, it just, ooh, I just soaked it all up and just kept going. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, you know, you played Angel as a woman, not as a drag queen. And you said that that kind of ultimately influenced your own transition. How? Yeah, it did. I mean, I had already. So, you know, there's been plenty of interviews that I've had about, you know, me knowing who I was when I was a child and knowing who I was when I was seven years old. But as far as medically transitioning medically, I that's when I knew I wanted to do that. That's when I knew I wanted to go on HRT. And one of my sisters, her name's Mila Jam, you know, she saw me one day and she said, I see you, girl. And I just looked at her and smiled because she knew what she had saw. And Little did I know, a lot of people saw who I was before I had even Mm. let people know who I was. So I was on Uh. the right path. 
I knew. And um, yeah, that was kind of the precipice, but it wasn't like the start of my transition. Mm. I believe my transition had already happened when I was born into this world. It just reminded me of that little girl who was seven years old, who was still sporting boys clothes because she was a tomboy, but she didn't give a crap if she sported boys clothes because people saw her and knew who she was. And what a lot of people don't know is that Rent was a strong force in my life when I was a child through what my mother had been playing through her playlist and my uncle had been playing. They were big R&B, strong rhythm and blues people. Mm. And when Seasons of Love was playing on the radio, it would play on the R&B channels most of the time. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It was played on the R&B channels. It was played on um, Hot 97 a lot. And Wait, hold on. They played Seasons of Love on Hot 97. Yeah, honey. And the reason why I would say oh. the reason why they played it is because most of the music is not uh, traditional Broadway music from Rent. You know, it's very rock yeah. and roll, R&B kind of style. So when I went into Rent and did it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is my home. I knew that Rent was the best stepping stone for me on how I could probably move towards my acting career separately and my music career separately. And I have to say, I'm really happy with what it's done. Yeah, things kind of worked out. (laughs) Yeah, baby. After the break, reflections on pose and the limits of visibility. When I think of the moment that pose exists in, the right now, you know, it is this groundbreaking award-winning show with the cast full of trans people. And it seems as if all throughout the culture over the last few years, we're seeing more trans people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, violence against trans people is high. It's up. There's a record number of bills targeting trans youth in state houses across the country. How do you square that dichotomy? It's, it's, it must be a strange moment to take in when there's so much good and bad happening to the community at the same time. You know, for me, when I see so much good happening and when I see so much awareness happening, I always expect for somebody to be upset at it. And that's why those legislations were created, because they're not happy with seeing Mm. that there are people who have a sense of self when they probably haven't had a sense of self. And that's no shade to them. That's just the truth. Um, If they didn't have a problem with it, then they probably wouldn't be writing the legislations or trying to pass these bills. But they are. And yeah, I mean, it's very, very sad that they're doing it, but we're going to keep fighting and we're going to keep being as present as we have been, as we always been. We have not just come on the scene. We've always been here for years. So um, I would say for me, with all of this happening and a person who loves to consider herself on the good side, I'm just going to keep doing my good and just, you know, dusting on these bad people. And we've already made our stamp. We've already shown people that we're worthy of being around and that they're also worthy of seeing us and holding space with us. And it's just not going to stop. So Um, And with that being said, I know for a fact that the bad is not going to stop either. But from what I see, the good is prevailing more so than the bad. And we're just going to keep pumping through. Yeah. You know, I think for me in this moment of rising visibility for the trans community, at the same time that there are these other bad things happening to the community as well, it's a reminder that representation by itself is not a it's not enough like it's a start but visibility and protection are two different things yes they are visibility and agency are two different things you know and so like if we're seeing with shows like pose and lots of other stuff that visibility is becoming a reality for the trans community 
if that is working, then what is the thing that should come next in your mind? In my mind, I think the one thing that should come next is letting us live in our autonomy and stop policing us. I think that Mm. we need to be able to be free within ourselves and do what we need to do so people can understand that we exist on our own time and not on theirs. Um, So, yeah, I think that's the other thing that needs to be added on to that. Yeah. With a lot of these bills, it's it's, it's basically cisgendered people saying either you can't be trans or if you're going to be trans you got to do it this way and i think what you're saying is no let people just be who they are and leave it alone no one is telling cisgendered people how to be cisgendered no one's telling us how to do it you know it's just like let people live let people live they're so afraid that they're trying to contain it so they don't have to deal with it i think that's what certain cis people do i'm not gonna um collect all cis people into one because I'm not that kind of person. And I know that there's good everywhere alongside with the bad, but there is a majority of cis individuals, specifically Caucasian individuals who just don't want to see that and who want to, like I said, control and try to have hands in our lives. And it's just not happening. We're not going to let it happen. Yeah. 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 You know, in this season of Pose, your character Blanca is in a transitional moment in her life and in her career. Right. And also Pose is coming to a close as well this season, which is going to be a big transition, I'm guessing, for you in your working life. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any lessons that you're taking from Blanca, the character of Blanca, as you perhaps enter a kind of transitional new moment? I'm going to start doing what Blanca has done, which is taking the lead. Um, even more. She takes lead extremely well. Blanca has shown nothing but exuberance. She's shown nothing but um, stability. She's shown nothing but caring and presence. She's been there. She's always present for anyone who needs her, whether Electra's asking her, whether Patel is asking her, whether her kids are asking her, she's always present. And I think I'm going to start trying my best to do that. You know, I think that's the best thing that she's done and she's influenced upon me. And um, I'm going to start leading like her because it's time. (laughs) I love that. To Blanca, to MJ, to Pose. This was just delightful. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks again to MJ Rodriguez. You can catch her on Pose on FX. The third and final season of that show premiered on May 2nd. All right, listeners, we are back this Friday with another episode just for you. For that one, your voice can be in the episode. We want to hear you share the best part of your week. Just record your voice on your phone or something and send that voice memo to me via email at samsanders at npr.org. All right, listeners, till Friday, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Stay safe out there. We'll talk soon.